Hey everybody, this is Donna. Happy summer. <laughs> it's a lovely sunny summer afternoon here in the mountains of Colorado. Today's topic is Jesus. Who was he and what was his deal? Why did he come? What was the hubbub all about that, that's still going on, that's been going on for 2,000 years plus? Well, I think that our current day religions offer quite a partial and skewed view on who Jesus was, why he came to earth, and what his teachings were all about. One of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to the subject of Jesus (laughs) is how religions use Jesus hanging on a cross as the symbol for who he was. Jesus was actually much, much more than any religion makes him out to be. The spirit or personality named Jesus, and and more accurately, his name was Yeshua ben Joseph, or even Yeshua ben Yosef. That was Jesus' actual name, and he came to earth to embody or incarnate as what we call the Christ consciousness today, so that humanity had a very physical seen and felt pattern or frequency of what it looked like and felt like to live as a human being and to live as an embodiment of divine love or God. And there is a much greater and ongoing plan for the Christ consciousness, which we'll touch on a little later. Every lower or descending age of humanity has had Christs because every age has needed this sort of ideal human spirit pattern to aspire to when we're coming out of our descending ages, our descending part of the cycle. Now, I realize that some of this may be controversial, and of course, I encourage you to do your own research and to draw your own conclusions. These things I'm going to share are simply, of course, the way that I see them at this point in time, subject to change as I learn more. The misconceptions about Jesus have been partially innocent, mistranslations and things like that, but also they have been partially intentional such as omissions and additions by those who sought to control people through religion. Let's start with Jesus' birth. Jesus was most likely born March 1st, which would have been a Sunday, in 7 BC. And this is according to the well-researched figures of a man named Lawrence Gardner. Lawrence Gardner was the genealogical consultant to the European Council of Princes, and he had access to private collection genealogies as well as the Vatican archives. Several alternate accounts, by which I mean accounts that were not chosen to be part of the official Bible, show that Mary, Jesus' mother, actually conceived normally with her husband, Joseph. The virgin birth detail was intended to make Jesus seem more holy because in the times before scientific explanation, a virgin birth was firmly a mystery that was in the realm of gods. Now, today, we know that virgin births are really not all that unusual. 
you can look up parthenogenesis. There is a rapidly growing body of information about immaculate conceptions, both physical and transdimensional or spiritual. Physical immaculate conception is said to always produce a female, and transdimensional or spiritual is said to produce a male, which is why Krishna and Jesus were thought to be conceived through transdimensional immaculate conception. The Native American Indians have actually always known that there were two ways for a woman to conceive a child without male sperm. And these were the two ways, both physically and and spiritually. Ancient goddess cultures depict immaculate conception in their art and their literature. I want to share just a short quote from Drunvalo Melchizedek's Flower of Life book, volume two. It goes like this. According to this doctor, all a scientist needs to do is simply break the zona pellicida with a little pin. And as soon as that happens, mitosis begins and soon a baby is born. It seems that breaking the surface is all that's necessary. Two more things. Number one, these female children born through parthenogenesis are absolutely identical to their mothers. And number two, in all cases, the female children have been sterile, end quote. And if you want to read more, there's, there's a lot of information um, around this subject in the Flower of Life, Volume 2. So all of this to say that whether Jesus' birth was an immaculate conception, a virgin birth or not, Jesus was very much as fully human as you or I. Jesus was schooled in the Essene community because his mother and possibly both of his parents were part of that secret society. Now, the Essenes were not celibate, and nor were they particularly religious in terms of the religions back then. They were very much a, a commune, what we might consider today a commune, a community of families. They were lifelong scholars and mystics and peaceful warriors. They actually sent out teachers all the time to in, in that time to try to teach the people about love and better ways to live and what God and sacred mysteries really were. They taught within their commune to, to their own people, they taught metaphysical knowledge and energetic powers that were actually brought down from ancient Lemuria and Atlantis, primarily through Egypt, Tibet, and the original Mayans, for lack of a better term. And when I say that, it's, it's not the Mayans that we know of. It would, it would be their ancestors who were the tail end of Lemurians, of the, of the ancient civilization of Lemuria. So back to Jesus. <laughs> On at least two prolonged breaks from the Essene community, from his Essene training, Jesus learned from spiritual masters around the world. He traveled with his uncle, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a maternal uncle and was a wealthy merchant. And there are actually records of Jesus being in India, England, Greece, the Americas, and several other countries. Also, some of this may have been after the crucifixion event. It's possible or thought that the Joseph of Arimathea title passed to Jesus's brother, after his uncle died, and that Jesus may have traveled extensively with his brother, Joseph of Arimathea, after the crucifixion event. 
So Jesus was fully human. He was, however, what we would consider a sixth dimensional soul. So he was quite advanced compared to most humans, especially in that time. And he clearly stated that his human brothers and sisters can do everything that he did and even more. Jesus actually came here to be human. (laughs) It was in his humanity that showed the jaw-dropping example of the powers of love, of fearlessness, and of healing. We knew, humanity knew at that time even, that God or gods had these powers. We didn't know that humanity can have them too. So Jesus came to play the game of humanity, not the game of gods. The official Bible omits important parts of Jesus' story because they wanted to omit the most common parts, the stories and the facts that showcased his humanity the most. They also omitted any teachings concerning the sanctity or the equality of women. Because Jesus was raised by Essenes, he treated men and women as equals. The Essene community was one of equality. Women could be teachers and masters and anything else that they were qualified to be as far as the Essenes were concerned. Jesus actually had more women disciples than men disciples because women were much more receptive of his message uh, of, of divine love, what love is all about. And women nursed and healed the sick right alongside Jesus because as, as we know <laughs> now, of course, women are very well suited for this type of nurturing healing work. Some of Jesus' rebellion against sexism still made it into the Bible, and we see that in a few different stories, like boldly talking to women that he was not related to whenever he wanted to, which was against the culture and the rules of that time. The Nag Hammadi collection and the Dead Sea Scrolls are collections of preserved fragments and books by additional first century authors writing about Jesus. The Vatican archives and private collections and university and museum libraries contain thousands more ancient texts with omitted parts of the Jesus story. The majority of alternate sources also agree that Jesus married Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene was of a a royal bloodline herself. She was not a prostitute and that they had children. Jewish rabbis of that time were actually obligated to marry and produce children. So it would have been uh, very, very strange and um, against tradition for Jesus not to marry and have children. So once again, Lawrence Gardner, um, as his role in, in as genealogical consultant to the European Council of Princes, <laughs> Um, as I mentioned before, had access to some very old and jealously guarded noble and royal genealogies. And he has written nine books, several of them about Jesus, Mary Magdalene, their children, and the subsequent Holy Grail or bloodline, which the Knights Templar made it their mission to protect. He has actually seen evidence, Lawrence Gardner has actually seen evidence in the Vatican archives, uh, such as notes between men of the church who gave instructions to change or omit parts of the Gospels. There were words and entire passages added 
as well as omit it. And, and there's notes that justify why. We should do it because of this. We should do it because of that. So these blatant omissions, and, and there's lots more to that story. This is just an example of some omissions. These blatant omissions and the suppression or the secrecy surrounding Jesus's marriage and his family were to control how we see or understand Jesus. And this was primarily undertaken by the Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church carefully sculpted most of the Bible so that they could make the God and Jesus stories mean what they wanted it to mean. Also, uh, um, a lot of this happened with changing the Gospels uh, several hundred years after Jesus' lifetime. So it wasn't all that difficult to start destroying or changing the written accounts and creating new ones because there weren't that many at that time. There weren't, you know, it wasn't like everybody could read and write in those times like what they can today. They couldn't mass produce stuff. So what was difficult in suppressing the original um, information was the Christians, the original Christians who at that time were very vocal in their opposition uh, about the new kind of twisted versions of Jesus and of, of Mary, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, the whole story. They, they were very vocally opposed to the changing of these stories. The original Christians knew about reincarnation. And they fully understood the lessons that Jesus had taught, and they were living them and spreading them. The Roman Catholic Church worked very hard to downplay Jesus' humanity and attribute his wisdom and his love and his powers to being a god, so that we humans, human beings, didn't get any ideas about our own divine wisdom and love and powers. Do you kind of see how this is going? All of that, the Roman Catholic Church wanted, wanted anything like wisdom, love, powers of divinity to belong only to priests of, of the church, not to the common man or woman. Now, the Roman Catholic Church certainly did not invent shaping a religion. <laughs> there is a lot of precedence for this. From way, way, way back, long before Jesus' time, religious priests started omitting truths and exaggerating or flat out making up alternate truths about creation, about humanity, and about God. And um, one of the ways we know this is there is ancient texts that talk about the original religion being the law of one, and how back in Lemuria they taught that, and they lived that, they taught it around the world. But then as Lemuria sank and people lost those truths, then these kind of spiritual centers became more and more religious because they started omitting truths and exaggerating or making up alternate truths about creation, humanity, and God. Why? Well, because, of course, that's a huge influence to hold over people. You can control how people live, how they behave, and, of course, the riches and the power that come from being able to control that. It's all about the oldest problem in humanity the love of power and wealth, and the manipulation of human beliefs. In contrast, we saw Jesus use his considerable learned and earned powers only to heal, to teach wisdom, and to live and model love. His whole entire life was this kind of opposition 
to control through fear. Um, he, he kind of made it a theme to break religious and societal rules. I mean, he really kind of just flipped the finger <laughs> at oppression by religion, by sexism, by wealth and elitism. Jesus was not at all much for religion, though he was respectful of traditional celebration or traditional observances of pivotal human events. God was so misunderstood at the place and time in history when Jesus lived that the worship of God, which definitely was not the worship of good, (laughs) had just become elitism, oppression, and, and really petty rules. There was no room left for love and for goodness in those religions. And Jesus came to show that love and goodness is what divinity is all about. Jesus' death on the cross was not about magically paying for sin so that people could go to heaven when they die. Karma or the universal law of cause and effect, takes care of this. It takes care of teaching us not to sin. And sin can be defined as unlove. Also, logically, (laughs) if we or Jesus on our behalf had to suffer and die to repay some God for being sinful humans, that sort of makes God the, uh, a dictatorial tyrant, not the pure love that is said to be true of the Christian God. Some sects of Christianity teach that human beings are all born sinful, but that they can be saved by believing in or accepting Jesus, which when you, when you get down to it means accepting their specific version of Jesus or Jesus' events. And they tell you, you must be saved in order not to go to hell when you die. Now, we humans do indeed misbehave, don't we? We do this until we learn and mature. Because inside of this illusion or game that we call earth life, we are baby souls that are evolving into wise souls. As above, so below. Our physical human journey inside of a lifetime is a mirror of our larger soul journey outside of lifetimes. And on and on it goes with with microcosms and macrocosms. But even inside this game, even inside our game, there is nobody that is sending anybody to hell forever for being an immature or baby soul. Neither does anybody send anybody to hell for being even a negatively oriented soul. And we've talked about this before. Condemnation mentality is purely base. It is a low vibrational human reasoning that came out of the fear and the ignorance of our descending cycles. Fear is what condemns. It divides good from evil. Love accepts and unites us back into the great and the holy one that we came from. And this was very much Jesus's message. Forgiveness and unconditional love are traits of evolved beings. By their very definition, 
they cannot be earned, not even by belief or faith or conversion of any type. They are given with or without being received. I can forgive someone regardless if they know it, if they receive it, or if they reject it, yes? I can unconditionally love someone completely without their participation. These spiritual concepts were constantly modeled by Jesus because we as humans can use them to evolve spiritually. Humanity struggles to comprehend and practice forgiveness and unconditional love, would you say? (laughs) But when we do, we find that they are incredibly healing and evolutionary. You could say even magical. (laughs) Jesus' death has been interpreted in dozens of ways, probably because it was an event that was at the center of a far-reaching galactic plan to redirect humanity on the physical, the emotional, the mental, the spiritual, and the cosmic planes. Some people say that Jesus showed how to live in total love despite the earthly plague of fear, even in the face of our ultimate human fears, which are pain and death. The resurrection was a demonstration that we don't need to fear death, yes, And Jesus tried to tell us, and then he showed us, that we don't die when the physical body does. Resurrecting to incarnate another human body shows us the concept of reincarnation as salvation. Salvation is defined in the dictionary as deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. So, some accounts say that when Jesus resurrected, he actually physically looked different. In the Bible, even, the accounts of him appearing to those closest to him say that that these people closest to him did not recognize him until they saw his scars. Now, what's interesting about that is we find in QHHT sessions that physical markings on our bodies always go back to a violence being done to the body. The marks of violence physically carry forward from lifetime to lifetime for as long as those events are important to us. Back to the topic of salvation. I want to remind you that we are already perfected and intensely loving souls on the other side. A part of our soul incarnates into a human being to play a specific game or to experience a specific illusion, to explore experiences that aren't possible to have from that perspective or from that place. It is only our human incarnations that desire salvation or that need salvation. Salvation comes to us as humans through many cycles of death and rebirth. We're exploring how to learn and become more humanly perfected through each lifetime after lifetime after lifetime. Emmanuel explains that our soul's reunification with Source God is such an exquisite experience that we create ways to have that experience over and over again. Hence, we created the human experience. Isn't that beautiful? So salvation 
which ultimately is returning, it's us returning to our pure state of love source or God, is accomplished in our human game throughout these many, many lifetimes, and Jesus modeled that to us. Now, there's also evidence that the Essenes, the Essene community, knew how to resurrect if they wanted to. Jesus raised several people from the dead, and the most famous one was Lazarus, Lazarus, excuse me, in the Bible. Lawrence Gardner believed the resurrections were metaphorical, a spiritual practice that was part of the Essene tradition, but not an actual physical reincarnation, or excuse me, resurrection. I actually had a client in QHHT who went to visit a lifetime as an Essene teacher. And as this man, this Essene teacher, this client traveled about and taught love to the people of that time. Based on my research of the client's descriptions, I believe that it was just before Jesus's time, not very long, probably I would guess less than a hundred years before. After a harsh trial, this Essene man was actually stoned to death for blasphemy, um, which was at that time reinterpreting God. But then, instead of his spirit continuing on to the other side, like most of my clients do, his consciousness popped right back into a recreated version of his human body as this Essene man. And he carried on with a quiet and remote life with his family after his resurrection. It was fascinating. It gave me yet another perspective on the Essenes as well as on Jesus' experiences. Now, we know from QHHD sessions that we can all leave our bodies when something is happening that is just too painful, too much trauma. Clients who come to a traumatic death, such as burning at the stake or any extreme suffering, leave the body and report on what is uh, happening and what the body's doing, but they're not feeling it. And, and this is very, very common to traumatic deaths. I would say most of the time, the vast majority of the time, this happens when there's a traumatic death. I've run across several accounts that Jesus left his body very early on in the crucifixion process that that horror belonged to the humans doing it to him and not to him. I believe Jesus did not suffer, but he did die and then resurrected. And I believe he was such a human badass (laughs) that he gladly did it for this system, this humanity, this earthly illusion that he loved. It's said on the other side that Jesus is an ascended master, which means he most likely lived however many lifetimes it took him to ascend, which would be being humanly perfected. In other words, he was a master of the cosmic game and of the earthly game, and he incarnated to teach humanity and earth. He came back from the sixth dimension to bring in the actual energy of unconditional love. I call it divine love. This energy was so far outside the human experience of that time period that he had to literally incarnate as unconditional love, the energy itself, which is why he was thought to be God, because that is what source is, unconditional love. 
And Jesus modeled it at its most sacrificial extreme. He had to anchor it into our hearts and into history in a big, big way. I would say he was an enormous success. One of the most impressive aspects in all of the alternative Jesus stories that I've read, both ancient and modern, is how every researcher and author treats him as sacred and holy. My very favorite material on Jesus is Dolores Cannon's books, two of them. One is called Jesus and the Essenes, and the other one is called They Walked with Jesus. Jesus and the Essenes is from a client who regressed to a lifetime as a teacher or a master in the Essene community. And this person taught both Jesus and John the Baptist when they were children. And he relates how incredibly special both of them were. We, we get such a unique insight into the person of Jesus at several ages in this book. And then the other book, They Walked with Jesus, was sessions with a client who regressed to a lifetime as a niece of Jesus, who traveled with him when he went from village to village treating the sick and the dying. And again, we get a very personal perspective into Jesus's family and his healing ministry. Jesus's incredible personality and love and wisdom comes through both of these books. I felt the love energy of Jesus much more during these accounts than I have in 30 years of practicing or studying the religions that worship him and, in my opinion, have watered him down so much, insisting that he is God instead of a soul like us who is ahead of us on the path with much to teach us. The Christ consciousness is an actual energetic grid that surrounds earth. It is a divine love energy that raises the frequency of earth. The Christ consciousness holds the pattern for how humanity is to live in this world and how to use our earthly lifetimes to walk the path of ascension. Edgar Cayce talked about this a lot in his readings, and I think he explains it quite well. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He was not talking about conversion to a religion, or even conforming to moral rules. He's telling us, I am modeling unconditional love itself, showing how any human can live in this way. This is the path to enlightenment, ascension, salvation, transcending humanity, or whatever else you might want to label it. This is the most direct path home to the divine while you are still human. Edgar Cayce's readings say, the power is in the Christ, the pattern is in Jesus, end quote. There have been many Christs on this earth, and there still are many. They are those who live a human lifetime powered by unconditional love. So in closing, If you can't tell, I absolutely love studying the lifetime of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. And if you're a Jesus fan like me, here are some of my favorite resources to start with. Of course, Dolores Cannon's books, Jesus and the Essenes, and They Walked with Jesus. A lady named Marina Michaels 
uh, has a website, thelighthouseonline.com, with some great channeled sessions about Jesus. Very interesting information. A man named Rob Bell, whom I've talked about before, has a podcast called The Robcast, of course. And Rob Bell is so good at speaking to the essence of who Jesus truly was and explaining what specific teachings in the Bible meant and what Jesus, what Jesus was all about. He is very much my favorite Bible scholar. You can search out the Robcast on iTunes or podbean.com, probably several other places. Rob Bell also has a book titled Love Wins. This book was pivotal for me <laughs> because uh, at a time when I had stopped believing the doctrines of Christianity, I couldn't articulate why, or I, I couldn't articulate what was wrong with it. And then this book came out, and I read it. And Rob Bell <clears throat> does a great job of defining and reinterpreting even, re-explaining a lot of what's in the Bible that just resonated with me. It rang true with what I knew Jesus to be, with who I knew source, God, or divinity to be. A book by Michael Bradley named Grail Knights of North America <laughs> has an interesting possible storyline of Jesus. Though the book's focus is on the Holy Grail and the Knights Templar, and evidence that they all ended up coming to North America. There is some interesting things about Jesus in there, and then a lot of resources that Michael Bradley used. And then, of course, Lawrence Gardner's books, uh, Bloodline of the Holy Grail is a good one, and then there's several others. I would say one thing about Gardner's fascinating works when you're reading them. Pay attention to what is based on his mountains of evidence versus the logical leaps that he makes. And we all do this, right? That's a human thing to do. But there are some things in those books that I don't agree with, that I don't, um, you know, a lot of the other evidence and the, and the data that I take into account um, goes against some of the stuff in Lawrence Gardner's books. And, and to me, it's because of the logical leaps that he makes in between uh, lots and lots of evidence. Uh, though incredibly logical, his assumptions tend to steer away from anything metaphysical, interestingly enough. And I see Jesus' entire life as a manifesto for reintroducing the metaphysical to humanity. So, uh, still, Lawrence Gardner's body of work contributes a lot, very, very much to this whole story and, and is also very interesting. That's it for today, my friends. Remember to visit our author website, ddadare.com, and let us know what questions you have about any information we share. By the way, we are having our website redesigned. We're adding a lot more to it. So if you haven't been there lately, check it out. Also, you can sign up for an email if you would like to know when our Atlantis book series is published. It's coming, I promise. We're getting close. <laughs> and we will email out um, as soon as, as we've got that out and published. So thank you for listening. I hope that this was of some interest and help to you. Many, many blessings on you and blessings on your day.